Hey marketers, if you want to get the latest news, trends, and insights in marketing, advertising, and tech, check out the Adweek Podcast Network. Learn from leading voices across media and marketing with original shows like Yeah, That's Probably an Ad, Marketing Vanguard, and Tech Magic with Kathy Hackle. Start listening now by searching Adweek wherever you listen to podcasts. My dad works in B2B marketing. He came by my school for career day and said he was a big ROAS man. Then he told everyone how much he loved calculating his return on ad spend. My friends still laugh at me to this day. Not everyone gets B2B, but with LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people who do. Get $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash generate to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash generate. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. You're listening to Yeah, That's Probably an Ad. It's the Adweek podcast where we talk about advertising, marketing, branding, tech, media, pop culture, and lots more because in the end, almost everything is probably an ad. Uh, I'm Tim Nudd, the creative editor of Adweek, and I'm sitting in for the temporarily dearly departed David Greiner, uh, but don't worry, he's just visiting France and we'll be back next week. Uh, in the meantime, we're excited to talk all about television this week on the podcast, in particular, the fall TV season. Uh, we are coming off the Emmys, of course, on Sunday, which I'm sure many of you saw, though maybe not as many of you as ABC would have liked. Uh, and on Monday, we published our fall TV preview in Adweek magazine, featuring the very cool, very talented, and very tattooed Kiefer Sutherland on the cover. Uh, and in case you haven't heard the Longtime star of Fox's 24 uh, has an exciting new show debuting this fall on ABC, which we'll talk about lots more uh, later. And of course, we've also got some non-TV news to talk about, as well as our regular weekly discussion of the week's most creative advertising. So it should be a fun hour. And for now, let me introduce my guests for the week. Uh, of course, we wouldn't talk about TV without talking to Jason Lynch, Adweek's staff writer covering the TV beat. It's great to have him on the show. Hi, Jason. Hey there, Tim. And we also have staff writer Christina Monlos joining us again. Hey, Christina. Hey, how are you? Good. Uh, and I'm also thrilled to welcome to the show Anya Fernando, Adweek's web editor. Hey, Anya. Hey, how's it going? Good, good. How are you? Good. So we're going to start off with our news segment, and it pains me in some ways to say this, and, and this is coming from someone who wrote for People Magazine for a long time. Uh, it pains me to admit that by far the biggest news story of the week has been Yes, the breakup of Brangelina, Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie are heading for the big divorce. Uh, so apparently nothing sacred, not even Hollywood's most high-profile marriages. Um, there's been a lot of other stuff going on in the world, but nothing quite as talked about as this very personal issue between these two very famous people. So Anya, I'm going to start with you. I'm going to quote from your Twitter here. Uh, I'm so sad about Angelina and Brad. Never thought I'd see the day. Tom Hanks and Rita Wilson, you're all we have left. Keep the love alive. Lovely sentiment, Anya. Um, what it, <laughs> Thank maybe you. you could, maybe you could tell us, <laughs> what is it about Brad and Angelina and celebrity couples in general that's so compelling? Are, are we looking for people we can look up to, people we can look down on, all of the above? What do you think? I think it's almost aspirational, especially the two of them and the six children and the whole history of their relationship, too, and how it came to be. It was, you know, kind of a scandalous beginning uh, with him leaving Jennifer Aniston for Angelina, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, and 
people were kind of like team Jen or team Angelina. And then suddenly it became this whole thing where they were just like the Hollywood power couple. They sort of got over that, didn't they? Where they, they started out scandalously, but then they've done a lot of good in the world and people sort of came over to their side in the end, didn't they? Yeah, they really did. It was really a turnaround. And I don't know, they just seemed really stable and people felt like they were the ones to beat. I don't know. And it was really shocking. And people, I don't know, somehow feel like they know them. Um, BuzzFeed actually had a really good piece by um, this this woman, um, Ann Peterson. She has like a middle name in there, but I forget it at this moment. And she sort of broke down um, why we have this fascination with Brad and Angelina. And that it kind of has to do with the history of gossip rags and how basically when they got together in 2005, that was around the same time that all of the online gossip publications like the Perez Hilton or the, oh, no, you didn't, or something like that. There are a bunch of them. But they all started around that time, and and it sort of changed the news cycle of the way that people were consuming gossip. So I think that also plays into what we're seeing right now, because it feels like the, um, as as she was saying, it feels like the end of of a certain kind of gossip era. Oh, that's interesting. It's interesting that you mentioned BuzzFeed. I saw a tweet from a BuzzFeed investigative reporter who said on Twitter this week that being in the BuzzFeed newsroom for the breakup of Brangelina felt like being in the Washington Post newsroom during Watergate. I mean, that's upsetting. That's. Do you, do you think she was serious when she said that? I mean, probably not. It plays into every every idea that people have of like millennial reporters in a newsroom. But I think there is like there is probably some sincerity to that. Jason, you're uh, also a People Magazine alum like me. What, what does this week's big breakup say about celebs or, or about the media that covers them so relentlessly? Yeah, in fact, I, I think uh, in you know, a previous lifetime, I, I spent even more years than you writing for People. So this certainly was a, a flashback for me because I was at People as this relationship was taking off. And what was striking to me is not only was this, did they come together at a time where the, the kind of the, these new digital gossip sites were launching, but they were really the last celeb couple, power couple, that had the power to sell magazines as well. Uh, when I started at People in the mid-90s, you had a lot of couples like this, Tom and Nicole being one, and really Brad and Angelina were the last ones left standing. And to that, uh, I thought it was very interesting to me that the news leaked out on a Tuesday morning after all of the celebrity weeklies had closed for the week, so which kind of ensured that it, it took them, it kept them off the covers of these magazines for at least another couple days. Although people just announced that they're going to rush out next week's issue, um, so it'll be out on Friday. But you know, still it, in this time where it, everybody says that print is dying, you have this couple who uh, seem to make this announcement, or at least half of this couple making this announcement of a split with an eye toward avoiding print coverage um, versus internet coverage. Now, of course, yesterday they were on the front page of every news site you can imagine, but at least they're going to be off the supermarket uh, covers for the next few days. Well, I know the Adweek print editors are going to be happy to hear that deadlines still matter, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, did you did you guys see the New York Post cover this morning? It was a picture of Jennifer Aniston laughing, and then it was the year that Brad and Jen got together, and then the year that they split apart, obviously 2016. Um, and it's like, 
I totally understand that that's probably the thing that's going to sell papers the most. But given what happened last night, given what's going on in North Carolina, and there was this beautiful photo that was going around on Twitter where it's um, there's this bus that says not in service. And it, it's uh, it's all the you see the shadows of all these police in North Carolina. And it's like that that photo you should look it up if you haven't seen it. It'll probably win whoever took it a fo- a, like a Pulitzer. It's gorgeous photojournalism. But, of course, Brad and Angelina and the whole scorned woman narrative that people love to put on to Jennifer Aniston is probably going to sell more papers. Well, and everyone complains about the coverage and how it's everywhere, but then everybody clicks on it. So it's like you're complaining about it, especially people in the media, ourselves included. Like we were all on Twitter yesterday. It was like a whole thing. And so it's this sort of hypocritical standpoint where you're like, that's not news. And then you can't help but click on it. We all do feed the beast in the end. Mm -hmm. Okay, speaking of celebrities, uh, let's talk quickly about the Emmys telecast on the weekend on ABC. I watched the show and I enjoyed it, though, of course, it seemed to go on all night, as these shows do. Um, There were a lot of surprises, a lot of first-time winners. Um, Jason, do you think it was a a better show than usual? I thought Jimmy Kimmel did a terrific job as host. Um, I was personally excited about most of the winners. Game of Thrones at the end, I thought it was a weak season, so I really would have loved the Americans to get in there. But I thought that overall, I thought it was a great telecast. I, I was, I was, uh, out of all the nominees that were announced back in the summer, I was excited for no one more than Louis Anderson for Baskets. And the fact that he actually won and won the first award for the night made me just incredibly excited. So uh, I thought that uh, the Emmy voters did a better job than usual for the nominations this year and did a much better job than usual for the winners as well. Why do you think the ratings were so low? I, I read that this was the lowest ever for an Emmy's telecast. Isn't that a bit surprising since we're supposedly <laughs> in uh, this new golden age of television? That is true, but there were a couple factors, especially this year, that were working against ABC. First off, ABC is... Uh, unlike CBS and Fox, when they get it, and it rotates through all the broadcasters, uh, there's no football for ABC on Sundays. So that's a, a big audience that's not getting funneled into the broadcast that, that when CBS and Fox has it, you have this audience already that's there. Not to say there's a huge overlap between football audience and Emmys, but that is, uh, you know, lead-ins really help. So I think that was part of it. And also, uh, this was this was a show where they gave out 27 Emmys in total, and just four went to broadcast outlets. So you increasingly have uh, this Emmy broadcast where you have a bunch of presenters from broadcast shows who hand out statues to winners from cable and streaming, and when the when ABC also does the Oscars and the Oscars can always center around this narrative of you know which of these two movies that are you know competing against one another will win it's harder for broadcast the, the broadcast networks push who are showing the Emmys to push that narrative because you're basically promoting shows that do not air in your network so that's it kind of there, there there's no um there's no upside to them to be kind of promoting you know well game of thrones or the americans win so that it, it's it's i think it's tougher to promote these and um you know without football i i wasn't too surprised that the ratings were were down a bit from last year 
I so I live stream this on Apple TV. I feel like a lot a lot of people of my generation probably did that. I don't know if those numbers would count though. Um, I think for ABC it doesn't I mean it's we're we're in this weird scenario right now where it's going to take another you know year for for Nielsen's total audience measurement metric to to be accepted by everyone. And right now only certain live streaming is counted in the Nielsen figures. For example, CBS is. But I don't believe ABC is right now. So those those figures were probably not in there. Um, but so, yeah, I mean, that, that that factors in as well. But I still don't think that even if you factored streaming in, um, it would be a huge blip above the, the number that we saw at ABC. I, I saw a pretty funny photo floating around from inside the Emmy Hall during the on the Emmys night, which showed that apparently during at least some of the commercial breaks, they were showing the football game inside the hall. <laughs> Which I... Yes, they were. Even ABC, ABC may not air football, but they know what uh, audiences want to watch. So yeah, that, that game was up in between breaks. Anya, I know you watched as well. What did you think of the show this year? I was I thought it was surprisingly good. I live tweeted it this year. And honestly, I feel like you could just go on Twitter and you don't even need to watch it. And you get the best reactions, the best gifts, the best like, I don't know. It's like this whole other audience on there. Yeah, that second um, thought, screen experience is sort of indispensable these days, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. I was surprised. I thought Jimmy Kimmel did a really good job. I really liked the opening montage, especially with that like Jeb Bush cameo. That was so random. <laughs> that was good. I would like them to put a moratorium for a bit on car on carpool karaoke segments outside of uh, the actual show, because I think that's something that's quickly feeling a bit overplayed. Um, so, and then especially when you consider that there's going to be the whole spinoff series coming to Apple Music shortly, I really feel like they need to uh, take a step back and uh, really kind of preserve that experience before it feels, even on the show itself, a little overexposed. Yeah, you know, for an ABC telecast, it was interesting that that James Corden was so front and center. You know, the the carpool karaoke was a big part of the intro, and then of course the Apple, ad, the Apple Music ad later uh, that aired later in the show, which we'll talk about in a bit. Um, also, a lot of James Corden. But I suppose the Emmy Emmy night is sort of celebration of all television, though, right, Jason? It's not really uh, it doesn't have to be ABC centric. Uh, absolutely, and you know, it's interesting if you you think back to you know fifteen twenty years ago when they prime the Emmy primetime Emmys were only for primetime shows and there was a whole separate award ceremony the cable ace awards for cable and you know i i wonder if the the, the broadcasters think you know there's part of them that think can, can we go back to that can we just have you know the emmys just be broadcast <laughs> so at least we know our shows are going to win something <laughs> i was surprised that they didn't trot out like more of the shondaland stars like carrie was there and so was fitz um <laughs> but but like i i thought they would, you know, pull out all the stops and have some like Shonda jokes. I don't know. I She's be, like the reason ABC is okay. Uh, be, uh, because of the the agreement that they have with the Television Academy, they try to spread the love around as far as who the presenters are. So it's not just from that one network. And you've got people. I think almost anybody, any major star who had a new show coming out uh, was one of the presenters. So they 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 try to they try to kind of spread the love around a little bit. Um, my, my favorite two presenters were definitely seeing Tom Hiddleston with, um, the woman from Quantico, um, Priyanka. Yeah. It was like when, when they came out together, it almost felt as if it was like, oh, Hey, we're going to do like a dual bond thing. And it's going to be these two, because if you've seen (laughs) in the news, she's been like, I don't want to be a bond girl. I want to be bond. So then it's like, all right, if you're going to sell me on these two together playing bond, I might actually be interested in that. I don't know. 
You know, the other Emmys note I wanted to make um, was to give congrats out to RGA and the Ad Council for winning this year's Emmy for Best Commercial, which obviously wasn't part of the uh, wasn't part of the main show. It was the creative arts part, um, but th they won for their famous uh, "Love Has No Labels" video with the X-ray billboard celebrating diversity. By the time it gets around to it, it feels like that thing has been awarded. Everywhere. Well, that, that, that video like, is quite old, actually. It's from February 20, 2015, yeah. so I'm not sure exactly why it wasn't eligible for the Emmy last year. Um, but nonetheless, it was the first PSA to ever win an Emmy, so congrats to them. It's a pretty cool milestone. Uh, yeah, in, awesome. in more sobering news this week, I wanted to mention the Skittles uh, situation. Uh, the, the candy brand had an awkward cameo in a tweet from John, Donald Trump Jr., which I'm sure a lot of you saw. Uh, he posted an image of Skittles, with, and the caption read, If I had a bowl of Skittles and I told you just three would kill you, would you take a handful? That's our Syrian refugee problem. Uh, obviously a very incendiary tweet and a difficult situation for Skittles to find itself in. Uh, they did respond, however. Uh, Denise Young, who's the VP of Corporate Affairs over at Wrigley America, um, said, quote, Skittles are candy. Refugees are people. We don't feel it's an appropriate analogy. We will respectfully refrain from further commentary as anything we say could be misinterpreted as marketing. Uh, Christina, was that the right way to handle this? Well, yeah. It also, um, with, with, her, with her statement, it kind of ends up being like, nope, we're not going to use real-time marketing right now. Like, this is not a thing that we're going to do because this is so low and so disgusting that if we associated our brand and if we tried to make this a moment for you to be like, if you support refugees, you should go out and buy Skittles, that would be a really weird statement to make. That being said, if they had then donated money to refugees or done something like that, that might have even been a better PR push. But I think, again, people like people like when brands are respectful. It's rare. So <laughs> they like it. Yeah, I agree. It I, thought, I thought it was a brilliant PR move. And I still remember in college, you know, taking public relations courses and they would always hold up the, the, the Tylenol campaign. Uh, cri Tylenol crisis management PR from the early 80s was kind of like the gold standard. And I feel in a similar way that um, you, you could point to the response to uh, from Skittles PR. You know, it was four sentences. It was 28 words. It was perfect. It completely shut things down. It also made it clear that they're going to, uh, to Christina's point, they're not going to try to market uh, you'd get any marketing benefit from this at all i thought i thought it was perfect i mean sometimes brands can say something though can't they in this kinds of situation i mean i was thinking about the the bombing in chelsea over the weekend and, and uh, on saturday night and after that happened the standard hotel which is in the same neighborhood where that happened posted an, an instagram uh image which is basically all text that, that invited anyone on the block who lived on that block to come by for a free dinner and a free night at the hotel so is that good PR or is that exploiting a tragedy for profit? Where, you know, where's the line, do you think, that these... Well, that's different because they're, they're providing a home and a meal for someone who has probably been pushed out of their, you know, their space because of an attack. And, you know, by offering that, they're just, they're just saying, like, come and, and, and take a part in our amenities um, because you, this messed up thing has happened but it's not like for for skittles because their product is a candy because there's no real way for for you to like buy or eat skittles and have that actually like impact this syrian refugee crisis it's not you know 
I think the standard makes sense because it's in that neighborhood and, you know, they're offering something that these people might actually need. Yeah, that feels like a genuine response. It doesn't feel like you're exploiting anybody. And the Skittles one, I like that it was apolitical, too. It wasn't trying to be like, oh, Trump, you know, no, no, no. It was just saying, don't compare us to refugees. We're candy, like, period. It was very simple. And, you know, I thought it was really well done. So the last bit of brand news I wanted to mention is this weird story out of England, which you may have seen, where Seat, which is a Spanish automaker, uh, also makes cars for England, and British Cosmopolitan magazine teamed up to create a specially designed car for women only. Uh, it apparently has eyeliner-shaped headlights. It has a champagne-colored interior. It comes in purple, and it's, quote, fun to drive and easy to park. So, Christina and Anya, I would love to, I would love to get your reaction to this uh, strange vehicle. It's like, could they be any more patronizing? Like, you can try and park it. You're a woman. Maybe you can do it. Like, there's just no reason for this product. There's no reason for it. No one asked for this. It'd be amazing if they were like, oh, not only is it easy to park, but like, we have a course. We'll teach you to parallel park. Because like, you're ladies. Your ovaries can't, you can't do it. I know you can't. It's like, it's ridiculous. It is. So, but, so you won't be buying this. You won't be buying this car. I take it was it. a good purple. I like the color. Same, same. My favorite response on Twitter this morning was somebody tweeted that they hope the car is going to be cheaper to reflect the uh, the gap in, in pay between women. And men, so. <laughs> See, that could be smart if you if you wanted to like make a car and have the price for women specifically be cheaper. Fine. All right, I'll take that. I might buy that. Was, that. That's too. Yeah. That's way too clever for for this campaign. I think. Yeah. You think Cosmopolitan would be smarter than that? Because their not. their site has improved. Mm-hmm. Their magazine has improved. True. Well, this is British Cosmo, also. Ugh, the damn Brits. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's move on to the section that we call ads worth watching, uh, where we talk about some of the more interesting creative executions in advertising this week. And speaking of the Emmys, I do want to mention the Apple commercials uh, that, that aired on the Emmys. I know we probably talk a lot about Apple, but uh, these were pretty noteworthy ads. The first one was a 60-second spot uh, called Midnight, and it was made by TBWA Media Arts Lab, Apple's longtime agency. Uh, and it promoted the new iPhone 7, and it, in particular, its new camera, which shoots apparently much better photos in low light than the iPhone 6 did. Uh, they also aired a second spot, which was a 30 called morning ride, which shows a guy getting ready to take a bike ride at dawn, uh, out in the rain. Uh, again, this promoted, um, an, an, another feature of the new iPhone seven. Uh, he straps the phone to the front of his bike, uh, which indicates that, uh, this thing is water resistant, which is another new feature. So I thought these ads were pretty good. I'm sure you guys saw them too, since they were on the Emmys. What did you guys think? Yeah, I thought they were very slick as usual, and I really like the music. I think they they always make good music choices. Um, it's sort of what you come to expect from Apple, I think. Well, for me, the midnight ad was really well done, but I kept waiting for the end to say that it had been shot with the new phone because it was talking about all of the new techniques that, um, or you know, how this phone could shoot better could could get you a better video so then you know show me that by having it shot on that phone which is something that apple has used many times before i wonder if they would if it wouldn't have looked nearly as beautiful (laughs) they've done a few ads i think like they've done a few ads like that but this one was so 
you know, required such incredible lighting. Um, I, I wonder if the phone just wasn't up to the task, honestly. Well, you can do you can do beautiful stuff on an iPhone. I mean, there was that movie that's on Netflix that was produced by the Duplass brothers. Um, oh God, I forget the name at this moment. Um, it's uh, it's about two two trans women. Um, anyway, but that one was shot on an iPhone, and it was you know it was really beautiful. Um, so I think you can do it, and especially if you're gonna like have an ad be all about how this new iPhone can get, you know, can shoot in low light. I don't know. It'd be, it'd be like proof of proof of concept. Yeah. It does make sense. You know, Anya's, uh, comment about the music was, was a great one too. Cause it, this one is, it's, it's a track on the midnight spot called in a blackout by Hamilton Lighthouser and Rostam. Uh, and it's definitely one of those tracks. It's not even out yet. And it's, I think the album is just coming out this week. And, you know, as Anya said, it's uh, one of those tracks that just gets popular just from an, just from an Apple commercial, which, you know, that's a history that goes back to iPod and even before that. So pretty cool choice. ACDC was the other, was the other, uh, soundtrack on the, on the second spot, by the way. Um, so the other spot I wanted to talk about, which which Christina wrote about on Monday, um, was the the one with James Corden for for Apple Music. So let's listen to a bit of that one, and then Christina, maybe you can tell us uh, what it was all about and wh- and whether you thought it, it was a success. Well, wait, wait, wait. What about this? Me as every iconic music star in history. Bang! I'm Bowie. This is. I'm Slash. Car. I'm the Spice Girls. Yo! I'm Pharrell. Maybe not Pharrell. James. But we just want to tell people all the ways that you can listen to Apple Music. Christina, what did you think of that? Uh, well, I mean, the jokes were pretty funny. The way that you were able to be excited about the odd concepts that Corden was pitching uh, was pretty fun. And something that we've seen before, um, Samsung did it. Um, with so he was so he was pitching ad ideas yeah exactly right? with him with him dressed up as famous people yeah i mean it it wasn't just him dressed up as famous people it was also like there was a whole bit towards uh towards the middle where he saw like a small child in the desert and like gave the child an iphone and then the execs were like why didn't you give this child water which is like <laughs> you kind of had had this thing going where you were curious about what Corden was saying. And then you got to see those visuals, which was great. And then you were also just as skeptical and like weirded out as the Apple execs were because you're like, what, how does that, this, how does this work as an ad? But I think when you're invested in, in, in the narrative like that, that's, that's a good sign. Yeah, I thought it was a great ad, too. And what was striking to me is that, uh, as I had mentioned earlier, the Carpool Karaoke spinoff is going to air on Apple Music and James Corden is going to be producing that. And at the time when it was announced that it was going to go to Apple Music, 
a lot of people were questioning the choice of Apple Music and why didn't it go to CBS All Access, which is their subscription streaming service that they're trying to get a following for. And seeing this ad, it makes a little bit more sense now if, uh, you know, indeed this is maybe going to be the start of a larger partnership between James Corden and as an extension of that Carpool Karaoke and Apple Music. And, you know, I, I, some CBS execs had told me, well, th this is opening up a new kind of distribution partner for us. And now we see him doing commercials for Apple Music, and I have a feeling we'll see others down the line. So suddenly the, uh, the decision for taking Carpool Karaoke to Apple Music makes a lot more sense. I think it was fun, but as Jason was saying, uh, James Corden is like right on the edge of being on overexposure. Like, it's like if you really like him, sure, you'd think it was charming and fun. But if you're like this guy again, you know, it's he's right on that border of being like, we don't need to see you anymore for a bit. He's not that popular in, in, actually in England, though, is he? Yeah, it's actually more here now, I would say. Right. But at the time, I mean, he yeah, was definitely when when uh, CBS announced that he was the new the new host. There was a lot of head scratching over here. Who? But in but in England, uh, you know, he's he's incredibly popular. Mm. But he's done a good job with that show. I mean, he's the carpool karaoke thing is sort of the you know now the pinnacle of of what the the new uh, late shows need to do right to to go viral online with their with their little skits. Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah. Cool. Uh, you know, the other brand that caught my attention over the past week was, was Audi, uh, and it was for a couple of different spots. The first one was from uh, Venables Bell, the agency out in San Francisco, and this one was co-produced with Airbnb. Uh, it was called Desolation, uh, and it takes place in this uh, sort of Death Valley scene where there's this crazy house out there called the, uh, the Rondolino, and the spot was great. It was like the super, it felt like almost like a Super Bowl commercial where you have this couple living out in this remote house and, and the guy goes for an errand just so that he can drive his, his Audi through the desert. And there's sort of a twist ending and it's really fun. Uh, what I thought was interesting though is this Airbnb connection. Uh, Airbnb are actually holding a contest where you can rent the house, uh, though I don't think you get an Audi to go with that. Uh, but it seems like Airbnb kind of has its paws into everything these days. So wondering what you guys think about you know, Airbnb's sort of ever-present involvement in, in all these different campaigns. I think it distracts because at the end of that ad, I'm not necessarily thinking about wanting to drive an Audi and thinking about wanting to go to that destination. And, and Audi is sort of helping you get there, though. <laughs> it's true. No, I, I mean, at first you're like, oh, wow, this is cool. Like, And if you don't know that the house is real, I think, then you're like, oh, yeah, Audi, awesome car. And then at the end, you're like, actually, I want to be in that house. Yeah, I mean, I, I certainly think it's a danger. And I, and I do think Airbnb is becoming such a strong uh, sort of ubiquitous brand that any these partnerships of which it excels and has dozens and dozens of them, I think is definitely starting to impact the branding. Uh, I think companies might do well to think about, think twice about uh, an Airbnb partnership in the next couple of months because they are literally everywhere. Uh, but the other cool Audi ad this week that, that you guys may have seen, uh, this one's actually from Razorfish, and it had a pretty strange lead character. It was a, a, a Tyrannosaurus Rex who, in, in the, uh, the plot of the spot, is, is depressed after he, he's apparently, uh, there's a video making fun of his tiny arms has gone viral online. So uh, certainly a, a very peculiar setup, but it's actually get, it gets paid off pretty well. So let's listen to a clip of that one briefly. I felt like the king of the world could walk out the door and I, I terrified people. Makes you feel alive. He thinks 
Things are always going to stay the same, and then one day, boom. 25 million hits in two days. The Wong's King Rex. Well, I became a laughing stock. So without spoiling it, uh, Audi at the end of the spot comes to the rescue um, with a certain type of car that's very tiny arms friendly. Um, I think we should just probably leave it at that. Um, you guys can search for Audi T-Rex over at adweek.com and check it out. Um, but it got a really good reaction from our from our readers this week. The only thing I will say is that like, as much as I love that spot, I think it's great. A, the idea of a depressed T-Rex isn't new. Um, it was actually a, a comic that went viral a couple of years ago. Um, so, I mean, and I think it ended up becoming a little, a little book, uh, of all the things that a T-Rex couldn't do because of the tiny arms. Interesting. I have not so, heard of that one. Yeah, it's cool. I'll send you a link. Cool. <laughs> uh, Christina, the last ad I wanted to talk about was the, uh, the new Lurpak commercial from Widening Kennedy, London. Uh, this is a, a Danish butter brand that's got a history of fantastic commercials uh, in the UK. Uh, you wrote about this one for Adweek. Tell us a little bit about it. Um, it was basically saying if you really love food, then get up and cook, you lazy, lazy sacks of garbage. I mean, <laughs> it was like... You foodies, you really think you're foodies and you're not going to cook. And then it decided to show you all of the like sweat and tears that can go into making a good, a good meal. It was, it was beautifully shot. It it made me want to cook, but instead I just watched the ad. So, you know, (laughs) that's how that was. Well, supposedly it was, it was informed by research that said that people are watching more food television than ever. Food television's beautiful. Chopped is great. fewer people are are actually cooking than ever in in the UK. So that gap sort of... I feel like most people don't have access to as many ingredients as you're seeing on TV. Or even if they do, they're not necessarily going to buy like, you know, truffle sort of (laughs) stuff and be like, I'm going to make truffle fries at home. Like, that's not... But you like seeing the process. You like seeing it be made. Mm-hmm. Well, these ads are certainly among the best shot in the business, so it was nice to see another another execution from that campaign. Uh, now let's move on to our big discussion of the week, uh, which is our fall TV preview. And uh, we're going to start with uh, talking about our cover story. Um, Jason uh, spoke to Kiefer Sutherland this week. He's starring in the new ABC show. Uh, it's called Designated Survivor, and it's one of the fall's most anticipated new shows, maybe the most anticipated. Uh, Jason... Uh, what is the show about and, and why does it look so promising? So Kiefer Sutherland plays this low-level cabinet member who is the designated survivor for the State of the Union. So you may have heard this before, but when uh, they have the State of the Union or any other uh, event where most members of Congress and the president assemble, they always keep one person uh, from the presidential line of succession away uh, in the event that some horrible tragedy uh, occurs so that they kind of preserve that uh, that line to the, to the president. And... Uh, Kiefer Sutherland, uh, earlier in this day, he's actually told he's going to be relieved of his job, and then he is the designated survivor, and uh, lo and behold, there is a uh, some type of a terrorist act that takes out the Capitol and takes out everybody else, and he all of a sudden is thrust uh, into the Oval Office. So it's uh, this mild-mannered guy, and and what he, uh, you know, kind of how he has to uh, cope with with being president and and trying to keep the country together while figuring out, um, you know, what happened. Uh, it's, I 
it's, a, it's, a, it's a great, it's a really compelling premise. Um, obviously, you have a huge star in Kiefer Sutherland, so all the ingredients were there. But what also uh, made this show a, a pop out above all others was how ABC treated it at the upfront in May. So, you know, you have this week of the broadcast upfronts where uh, every day a, a different network, uh, you know, brings uh, brings all the buyers together and, you know, they, they all play kind of the, the upfront trailers that end up going online after the presentation. And what ABC did with Designated Survivor is they, instead of just showing a trailer, they screened the entire first act of the show. So you are really there and, you know, the, the tension's building as you realize what's happening. And this is the first time that they, ABC has done that approach to a new show, screening more than just a trailer um, since uh, they did this with Modern Family seven years ago and showed the whole pilot. So immediately, ABC is telling uh, advertisers and buyers, we've got the goods and we're going to prove to you that we've got the goods because here's this first act of the show and it sucks you right in. Mm, okay. Is his character sort of a reluctant uh, hero? He is. Uh, you know, it's interesting that he, uh, everybody knows him as Jack Bauer. So so part of you, you keep waiting for him to just start kind of kicking ass and taking names. And that's not what this character is at all. And that's mm -hmm. also why he is, uh, I think he's great in this role, because he does bring a gravitas to it. Um, but, but at the same time, he is... Um, he's it's 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 a different role for Kiefer it's not it's not what you would expect from him and mm -hmm. uh, you know he's a huge star and I think he you know, ABC tumbled to fourth place in the 18 to 49 demo that advertisers care about last season and uh you know they need this show to do well um if they want to have a if they want to have a chance of getting out of the cellar didn't Kiefer tell you that like having his character wear glasses was sort of his way of being like, this guy's this guy's mild mannered. He's like going to get presidential when he takes <laughs> off those glasses. Yeah, it, it was uh, it was one of his only notes from when he read the script, which he loved. And uh, he had two notes for the creator. One was that um, his character should be a, an independent. So, again, just to reinforce his outsider status. And then the other was that he wanted him to wear these glasses. And there, there is a line um, a bit later in the, the pilot. I don't want to spoil too much, but, you know, he's somebody tells him, you know, those glasses don't look too presidential. And it's going to be part of this, you know, metamorphosis of, of him becoming presidential that he will eventually lose the glasses. So it's the whole, sounds, like, Sounds Superman. sort of Clark Kentish. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yeah. yes it, it is indeed, yes. Uh, Jason, when you spoke to Kiefer for the story, um, he also sort of made a, he's been making kind of a, a pretty good defense of broadcast TV. Um, you mentioned how many awards went to cable and streaming at the Emmys, uh, very few to broadcast. Why does, why is he so bullish on broadcast right now? Yeah. And it's, it's, it's interesting. His take on this was very interesting because, you know, this is a time where so many stars, um, if they're doing TV, they're doing cable like Matthew McConaughey or Maybe they're doing a streaming show. Um, and and very few stars now want to do broadcast. And Kiefer was very open about it. You know, he said, listen, I... I I started to do, when I started to do this, uh, when I started to do 24, I had kind of 10 years where my career was just in the tank. And, um, you know, back then in its heyday, 24 was doing, uh, averaging 15 million viewers a year, or, uh, a, a week. And at the time, you know, average ticket price was maybe about $10. So that's $150 million uh, 
weekend at the box office, and that's happening every week. He says, I never had a movie that made $150 million at the box office. You know, th- this, is, this is the best opportunity you have to get as many eyeballs on your work as possible. You know, he says, I, I, love, I love acting. I love doing what I do, but I need to know that there is an audience out there who wants to see this show as much as I, you know, who loves this show as much as I love making it. You know, I've, been, I've made a lot of movies uh, and a lot of TV shows that nobody watched, and it's not fulfilling at all. And it's, it's, uh, it's an interesting take, and it's something you kind of don't hear people say. You know, a lot of actors will say, well, I'll go where the money is, or maybe I'll go where the creative freedom is. And, and, and Kiefer says, you know, listen, if you, want, if you want the best shot at reaching the largest audience uh, on, a, on a television show, you still have to stick with broadcast, which is true. I mean, really, other than Walking Dead and something like Game of Thrones, for the most part, if you do cable or streaming, um, you are not going to reach the audience that you're going to reach on broadcast. Well, doesn't he also have like a music career that he could totally use more fans for? Like if I were him, I would be like, hey, designated survivor, here's your designated survivor song <laughs> from me, Kiefer Sutherland, the designated survivor. <laughs> yeah, he, yeah he, he, he does have this new side gig as a music career. He was very funny about it. He says, listen, I, I, I get the stigma about actors trying to do music. It's a side gig for me. He says, I'm at an age now. Um, if you want to make fun of me, I really don't care. Um, I'm not trying to make them, you know, I'm not trying to sell a million records. I'm not trying to play stadiums. He's he, he, he did the 70 city North American tour where he played kind of bars and small clubs with a, about 500 people. And he says, you know, they, they came in, they didn't know, they, they knew who I was. They didn't know my music. And, you know, they just kind of took a chance on me and, uh, and you know, it, all, it all seemed to work out. Do you think uh, Designated Survivor could be sort of a mega hit on on a level of a, a 24? I do, absolutely. That was one of the reasons that I, I pushed so hard um, for, for him to be our, our cover story because you could tell even from that first footage and um, and having seen all 20 in a new broadcast pilots for the fall, it's the one that stands out the most. And in talking to buyers as well about the fall, they uh, also seem to have the highest hopes for it. And my feeling is you know, kind of like 24 back in 2001 and remember at that time that was not kind of a guaranteed hit um you have this irresistible premise combined with this great star and broadcast really needs a show like this to work because these are the types of shows that broadcast should be making shows that have the ability to reach a really broad audience and they kind of try you know and some of the procedurals work but but this really seems like you know this is right in the wheelhouse of of a show that should be a huge hit on broadcast tv well, it also seems like the kind of show that's going to have a cliffhanger pretty often to be like, mm-hmm. oh, all right, what's going to happen? Is America going to go uh, under? Like, what's up? Yeah. Yeah. One thing he likes about this show is, as compared to 24 is, you know, he said 24 was always just uh, very Jack Bauer specific. And, you know, we always paint ourselves into a corner. And he says, you know, you have a lot of different threads here. You have, you know, you have trying to figure out who who's behind this attack. You have just trying to keep the country together. You have trying to keep his family together. So I, I do think that there is going to kind of be these twists that are going to propel, you know, propel you forward. Um in, in a, a lot of different ways. So I think, you know, it, it could, it could, if, if everything clicks and everyone's kind of fingers crossed that it will, it could be around for a while. Wait, can we talk about another twist? Sure. In a different show? <laughs> um, cause I watched this is us last night per your suggestion and <laughs> I felt dumb that I didn't see that twist coming. I also felt like very verklempt. Like I was just, I was so sad. It got me. I felt stupid for being manipulated, and then I was so on board. 
the sign of How a good show. How do we talk show. about this twist yeah, without so, spoiling So what Christine is talking about, uh, so NBC has a new drama, This Is Us, which is also one of the the stronger pilots of the new season, and um, it's this uh, the drama. There, there, there's a, a bunch of different people, and you're trying to figure out how they all relate. And then, uh, and so I was watching, and I kind of thought, you know, modern fa- the modern family pilot, you know, which we were talking about before. You know, the the big twist at the end is that all these groups of people you're following are actually also all in the same family. So it seemed that they were related, but then the the big twist at the end, and you know, it's it's been out. So if you're listening to this and you you haven't watched the show yet, you may want to stop right now. But uh, is that uh, the Mandy Moore and Milo Ventimiglia, um, who? or one of the groups of people we're following, it turns out that their characters are actually the parents of all the other siblings in the show. And it's this this uh, this great twist that um, I'm still, frankly, shocked that ABC was able to preserve it. In fact, I had a story that went out today about how they handled the marketing on that. And there was a lot of uh, discussion in at the network about whether to spoil it or not, because, you know, in this this world where you've got 450 scripted series that are going to be on this year, you really need to make a splash. And out of the upfronts, This Is Us was not a show that people were necessarily talking about because it didn't have a big hook the way Designated Survivor did or maybe a, a show, a TV show based on a movie like Lethal Weapon or a reboot of a show like MacGyver. Um, and then what happened was that the trailer went viral on Facebook and had 50 million views in the first 11 days. And NBC suddenly realized, wait a minute, we can actually, we, we can get across the message of the show without spoiling it. So as a result, they were able to preserve this this great twist for audiences to kind of discover themselves. Um, the best quote that you got for that story was whoever was like, it didn't hurt to have Milo's butt in there. Yeah. <laughs> it didn't hurt. Yeah. Uh, Dan Fogelman, who's the creator of the show, joked to uh, some reporters at the Television Critics Association summer press tour last month that uh, they were just going to have, you know, Milo's bare butt in every episode now because the trailer (laughs) was so so popular and he knew that was one of the reasons. I think it's really rare nowadays, too, to have a genuine surprise. Like, I feel like everything is spoiled on Twitter yeah. or, you know, in a, a second. Especially those upfront tra- uh, trailers, because really until two years ago, they weren't generally released. They were really just for the buyers. And and what those trailers were trying usually try to do is they, they give you the entire arc of that first episode, including whatever the twist is at the end. And then those trailers go out, so everybody sees them. So that was also what was, was really striking about the trailer for This Is Us, is that they shied away from that last reveal. And it made it even that more kind of, you know, emotional when uh, you got to that point in the show and realize what was going on. So ABC has designated Survivor. NBC has This Is Us. Um, what does Fox have that's interesting this fall, Jason? Uh, Fox has one of my other favorite shows of the fall, which is Pitch. Um, also from Dan Fogelman, who's just having a great fall. Uh, hopefully, you know, both these shows do well for him. And uh, what's great about Pitch is it, you're potentially combining two different audiences. You you have uh, a, a drama, uh, you have a, a kind of almost a family-centric drama um, starring, uh, starring a female, but then you also have it in the sports environment. Um, so it's about uh, the first female pitcher to ever play for the major leagues. Uh, she's called up uh, and plays for the San Diego Padres. Uh, so it's almost like this Jackie Robinson situation where she's, you know, really this, uh, you know, breaking ground uh, in sports. Uh, but it's really, you know, the, the sports element is great. The drama part is great, and it's this. Um, it's this. 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 The, the, they're they're taking a huge swing. You know, pardon the baseball pun uh, with with this, <laughs> and. Uh, 
But I think that's also what broadcast networks should be doing. I mean, I talked before about how they need those shows like Designated Survivor that can have this mass appeal, but they also need something like Pitch because it doesn't feel like everything else you've seen on TV. Um, for example, literally every single one of CBS's new shows, which feel like every show that already exists on CBS. And Pitch feels completely different, completely fresh. Uh, I think that one's going to be a little harder to take off because I think Thursdays on Fox, you know, it's, it's, it's a tougher tougher uh, road for them um but uh i think it's fantastic so i, I definitely they've also got the, the baseball playoffs to promote it which is sort of the perfect they do and that, that was also vehicle. really smart you know i wrote something uh, in the the summer about how they use the all-star game to kind of like be as uh, the unofficial kickoff for their their marketing campaign and initially when they and back in uh, may at the upfronts they were going to hold this for mid-season which made no sense at all because in in, in Really, uh, I think less than a week later, they came to their senses and moved it up to fall because you have you have the playoffs, as you said. You've had really the the All Star Game, and they actually shot uh, some footage that'll air in a later episode there. Um, and it's a great you know Fox Sports actually uh, the, the the announcers appear on the show. Uh, they are partnered with Major League Baseball on this, so all of the the MLB logos and teams are there. Um, so yeah, there, there's there's kind of a great launching pad for this, and uh, I hope people watch it. Will any of the real pitchers show up? Like, will Timmy Lincecum be, like, coming out and be in the show? There's been talk about that. I think that... um... There may be one or two people that, that, that they try to get. And I think I remember Dan Fogelman mentioning that there was one player they had their eye on. And then I think he had a was season. Was it Timmy Lincecum? No, I don't think so. He had like a season-ending injury. Um, but they're still going to try to use that sparingly because they want they don't want the show to devolve into who's going to be the major league guest star who pops up in this episode. episode. Um, so they're, I think you will see a little bit of that. More likely probably former major league players coming back in for some reason but uh they really want the story to be front and center not the kind of the the celeb uh cameos that would be smart to get gina davis in there for anyone who loves a league of their their own own. which is probably the best baseball movie she also has a a new show uh, on fox um the exorcist which is not one of my favorite shows in the new season so she might be freed up and could, you know, maybe pop up in some capacity <laughs> That's another later show in the season. Or I'm like, who was asking for this? Was someone like, yes, we need The Exorcist on TV? Like, who and why is she doing it? I don't really understand sometimes these choices that these big stars make. Like, she, I feel like she could do better than that. Yeah, you know, every year now, I think because, uh, you know, as I was saying before, with, with 450 scripted series, um, it's harder and harder to, to kind of break through and, and, and make a name for yourself. So increasingly networks are taking what they call IP, intellectual property or, you know, brands that you know already and bringing back to the screen. Now, last year, literally every show that was based on a movie uh, was canceled and didn't make it to season two. Minority Report, Uncle Buck, Rush Hour. Uh, there was one other that I'm already forgetting because it just made such so little of an impact. But they're doing it again this year. So the fall, you've got Lethal Weapon, which I will say is actually better than I would have expected. Um, you have The Exorcist. You have, uh, in mid-season, you have Taken. You have... Um, 
There's taken. It's going to be a prequel. Oh, also this fall we have Frequency, which was based on the Dennis How Quaid. How can there be a prequel to Taken? That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> well, His wife was taken in the first well, it, it, it's, it's the, it, taken? It's the Liam Neeson character in his you know 20s or 30s. And... Oh, come on. Oh, the only reason I was able to accept the multiple Taken <laughs> movies was because you were like, all right, Liam Neeson in real life actually lost his wife tragically. If he wants to take out his aggression on like losing his fictional wife in these movies. I'll do it. I like Liam Neeson. I'll watch him. But no, no. I, I suppose I, uh, I suppose Hawaii Five O really set the stage for a lot of this, didn't it? The, it did. The success you know, of that show. Uh, you know, one of the, and one of the the buyers I talked to said, you know, I guess that's really the only show you can you can point to as being a success. And 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 success is almost kind of in quotes because. It's a it's a moderate success. It's on Friday nights. It does well. It does really well internationally, but it's still not a huge huge hit. Um, it does you know for CBS. I think it's one of their kind of average or you know maybe uh, less popular shows. But yeah, I mean that's what they're that's what they're shooting for, and that's what CBS is. You know again they've got MacGyver, um, which is back and which hopefully will go away again very soon because that <laughs> pilot was was pretty much a mess. Um, they 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 picked it up in May and then they announced that they were scrapping all every detail of the pilot they picked up except for the star and except for one co-star, and they basically were starting over from scratch. This was after two years of trying to redevelop it into a new series, and it shows. You know you're you're watching it and it just seems like it was like you know but much like macgyver does he created the series out of spare parts from other cbs shows that were kind of lying <laughs> around um so that that's another one that i just uh, you know it's on friday night they're paying pairing with hawaii 5 they hope that you know there'll be this kind of retro vibe that'll attract people but don't people well, think people are gonna there, stick there, around there's also this other cbs show isn't there uh it's called bull and 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 uh the media buyers are pardon the pun bullish on this one yeah they, they are and i think uh, with <laughs> I, uh, as I said, you know, th this is one of the, I, I didn't really like any of the CBS shows, although I do feel that if you watch CBS, you will love all the new CBS shows because it is completely on brand for that network. But um, they, the reason that they like Bull is that they thought for what it does, you know, procedural, you know, uh, it's based on Dr. Phil and, and his early work as a trial consultant. Uh, so they thought that the combination of that and the fact that Michael Weatherly, who CBS viewers have watched and loved on NCIS for, you know, what, 36 years at this Whatever point? glasses they have him in are terrible. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it, the show really rubbed me the wrong way, but um, CBS was very smart. They scheduled it after NCIS, and I think the feeling is, you know, some people won't maybe notice that he's on a different show. If he, you know, just NCIS kind of flows into this and, and uh, premiered on Tuesday night, and the ratings were, were really solid. So um, I think that that's the bottom it was maybe even less the quality of the show and the fact that it was being positioned right after NCIS that probably gives it a good chance for success. Every one of those CBS shows, I just couldn't, I just couldn't believe they were even made into a pilot. Like the Matt LeBlanc one. Oh my God. Yeah, that, that, that's, that's the worst one by far. At, at that, uh, the CBS up front of May, there, there was a lot of people shaking their heads in disbelief at what they were seeing. The sitcoms in, uh, in particular really seem like they, like you can almost kind of smell the must on them. Like, you know, they, they uh, it's, you know, the, you go back to kind of the overweight guy and the hot wife. And isn't it crazy that like men like stay at home and, and have to be parents to their kids? Like that is wild. And, you know, there's not kind of a, there, there's not a, non-white face in the the bunch of them and it's uh 
it's really crazy. I think you know CBS they, they're they're number one in total viewers last season. They were even number one in 1949 to, to the degree that everybody you know says that they're such an old network. Um, last year their new shows included Supergirl, which I think brought a younger audience in. Apparently not as uh, not big enough for them because they they kind of shipped it off to the CW this year. But I think that CBS is almost kind of running scared this year, and they feel like you know what so we tried Supergirl, it didn't work, so we're just going to not do anything that's outside our comfort zone, even you know a couple centimeters, and that kind of explains this lineup that is very very safe we haven't talked much about the cw what's going on over there aside so, from uh from supergirl cw is interesting yeah so so really the the, the big story for cw this fall is is the, them getting supergirl from uh from cbs and and mark pedowitz the president has you know told me that he thinks that that'll be their number one or number two show and flash is number one right now so you know, you think it could be the two of them. Um, CW, the, the last two years, they've had this incredible fall streak where they had these these great shows, either critically acclaimed or, or big hits. Flash, Jane the Virgin, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, those were the three fall shows. And that is a batting average that no other broadcast network can come close to in the fall. Um, because CW only programs 10 hours uh, a week, there's kind of a lot, you know, a lot fewer slots um, for them to, to open up. So they, they do have two more, two new shows. There they're both fine frequencies one also based on a movie and the other one's called no tomorrow they're both fine but given how amazing the last three fall shows on cbs were they don't quite measure up so they're completely fine but i wouldn't put them in the same category as some of the other new programming cb the cw was brought to the table there's one other show i wanted to mention son of zorn is this this is the fox live action animation hybrid yes it's really interesting so it's from um it's from the the same producers uh phil lord and chris miller who who made last man on earth who are also made the lego movie who are directing the uh the kind of standalone han solo star wars movie that's going to come out, I believe, in two years. And like Last Man on Earth, it's this very crazy concept, this kind of this mix of, of, of uh, live, an, live action and, and animation. Um, unlike Last Man on Earth, it's still that the pilot was a it, it doesn't really deliver on the premise. And it's still you know, that Last Man on Earth pilot was just sensational. And you're like, OK, I completely get how this can be a series. And this was more you're still like well there's kind of something here i'm not something's off i'm not sure what it is um and one buyer told me he feels like it's either going to be a huge hit or a complete disaster we haven't figured it out yet you know it, it it's it airs between simpsons and family guy so it'll probably you know do fairly well just um by nature of where it's airing comedies in general take the better part of a season to find themselves so i'm hoping that son of zorn does but right now the jury's still out on that one so overall, do we think it's sort of an average year with a, with a few potential bright spots? I think so. I mean, really, aside from the ones that we've talked about, you know, there's 20 shows in total, and I we've probably talked about you know maybe six or seven. Uh, the rest of them are are fairly forgettable. I will say, uh, Speechless, which is a new comedy on ABC with Mini Driver, um, I thought was great. But beyond that, there's really not that much I can recommend to people. And uh, what's interesting this fall compared to previous years is I always felt that with on the, the cable uh, cable networks and the streaming services that when September rolled around. There was always this sense from them like, okay, mom and dad are coming back. We kind of have to, you know, calm down and, you know, we're not going to, we're not going to premiere any new shows. Like, like it's, you know, it's time for them to kind of, you know, this, this is their, this is their time. 
And this year, you've had cable and streaming kind of coming in in September and almost trying to claim it as their own. You have FX launching two terrific new comedies, Atlanta and Better Things, both of which have already been renewed for another season. You have Amazon coming in with with two great comedies of their own, One Mississippi and Fleabag. Uh, And then they're going to also be dropping the third season of Transparent later this week. So all of a sudden... um, Streaming and broadca- uh, streaming and cable aren't so willing to play nice in September anymore, and, and broadcast doesn't have the feel to itself anymore. So, so even if you were going into the fall saying, okay, I can't wait to watch some new shows, well, if you watch, if you watch uh, Atlanta and then you watch uh, Better Things, suddenly those are two shows that are already filling up space in your DVR, you know, two less slots you have for anything new the broadcasters have to offer. All right. Well, guys, I think we're going to have to wrap it up there. Uh, Suffice it to say, no shortage of stuff to try out this fall on TV. So we'd love to hear from you guys. So email your questions or comments to podcast at adweek.com, and we might include your compliments and or scathing criticisms on an upcoming episode. Uh, Also, if you like, please, (laughs) please take a moment to leave a review on iTunes or Google Play or Stitcher or wherever you find us online. We'd appreciate that. Uh, Coming up next week, it is Advertising Week in New York. Always a fun week. Uh, We'll be recording a special podcast for that, so keep an eye out. Uh, Our theme music is by home. This week's episode was edited by Kevin Eck. Thank you, Kevin, as always. And I want to thank my guests this week, Christina Monlos, Anya Fernando, and Jason Lynch. Thank you, guys. That was fun. And, of course, thank you for listening. This has been, yeah, that's probably an ad, and we'll see you guys next week. 